We've been in a uh, Built for Discipleship series, and early this week I just felt led that we need to preach on missions. We need to preach on missions. So today we're going to talk about the local church on mission, the local church on mission. Christ gives us a mission, and as, as Pastor Ian talked about in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, this is what he says. He says this, All authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What is our mission, church family? To make disciples, in a nutshell. To be perfectly clear, it's exactly what Pastor Ian is doing and attempting to do in, in Japan. Make disciples. And at Evergreen Church, discipleship is the central theme of our church. Discipleship is everything that we do. That is, discipleship is a common thread that goes through everything that we do. And how do we coin discipleship? Discipleship is committing to what? Intentional relationships that build Christ-likeness. Committing to intentional relationships that build Christ-likeness. Therefore, we want to be faithful to our Lord. As Pastor Ian wants to be faithful to Christ, we desire to be faithful to the Lord here. And so we're going to answer one question today through the preaching of God's Word out of Acts. One question. And that question is this. What is the role of the local church, namely Evergreen and every other local church, in missions? What is the role of the local church in missions? And we're going to turn to the book of Acts to see a New Testament local church faithful to missions. So we're going to be at Acts chapter 11. So if you have your Bibles, please turn there, Acts 11. And you're going to have to keep your finger there. We're going to be uh, turning in Acts from different chapters to, to follow along to see how God is working. If you have your phones, keep your finger there to, to be able to navigate from chapter to chapter. So as you're turning to Acts 11, just a little bit of context because we want to understand a little bit of context before we start reading uh, Acts 11. 19, that is. And in Acts 1.8, Jesus says, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, a concentric circle, moving from inside Jerusalem out, even to Japan. In Acts 2, Pentecost happens. The Spirit of God comes upon the people, and the church is born. <laughs> the church is born. In Acts 4, persecution breaks out. Peter and John are arrested. The apostles are being harassed by the Jews. In Acts 7, Stephen, a faithful, godly man, full of the Holy Spirit, is martyred. The first Christian martyr, he's killed and stoned to death. And this will launch and usher in a period of massive persecution in the church. In Acts 8, Saul, who will become Paul later on, is the chief of persecutors, ravaging the church. The Bible says, entering house after house, Dragging off men and women to prison to be killed. Persecution is on with the, with the most intense and most gifted people that the world has to offer. 
In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus makes an incredible promise upon this rock, upon who he is, the truth of who he is. I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not be able to stand against it. What a promise! But if you're reading Acts, you'd be wondering, what is going on if Jesus is building his church? How does this make sense? So with that in mind, let's, read, let's rise and let's read Acts chapter 11. We're, I'll be reading from 19 to 30. Acts chapter 11, 19 to 30. I'll be reading of the NASB version. So then, those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. The news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with the resolute heart to remain true or faithful to the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. And he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Verse 27, now at this time some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit that there would certainly be a great famine all over the world. And this took place in the reign of Claudius. And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. Verse 30, and and this they did, sending it in the charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray your spirit allow me to preach your word faithfully. And I pray, Lord, that your spirit will embed the word of Christ deeply into our hearts so that we will love him more. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. Acts, the book of Acts. In essence, what is Acts about? We are able to see the character of God moving in Acts to build his church. In essence, God's providential hand is sweeping across the land to build his church. And in some ways, he removes the veil, and we're able to see behind the veil how God is working to build his church. Providence. What is providence? Providence is this. God is in control of every detail of physical nature to fulfill his plans for his glory. God is in control in essence, of everything that happens in the universe. R.C. Sproul, R.C. Sproul has a quote that says, there are no maverick molecules in the universe, meaning every single molecule is doing exactly what God told it to do to fulfill his plans. There are no maverick molecules in the universe. So providence, as Joseph from the Old Testament said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. This is a declaration of God's providence. Pastor Ian quoted, for we know all things work for good to those who love him. That's providence. And then so as we look at verse 19, persecution was taking place. Who would have chosen this? 
What Christian will pray for persecution? But persecution is what drove the Christians out of Jerusalem up north to form the Antioch church. Providence. God was using evil to church plant. God was using evil to multiply the local church at Antioch. And Antioch is about 300 miles north of Jerusalem. Okay? And it was a significant city in the Roman day. I mean, it was the third largest city. Massive commercial center as it sat near the water, the Mediterranean Sea. A large Jewish community lived there. And it was a very vile city, as many of the Roman cities were of the day, the gross immorality. And providentially, Christ transformed the Antioch church to be the missions hub to the world. This is where the Lord would launch his missions efforts to the known world. And how did this happen? Well, look, let's take a look here. Verse 19. So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and to Cyprus, to Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. So there were people speaking to the Jewish people. Just a little bit of context. Why the Jewish people alone? Well, early on they believed the Messiah was strictly for the Jews. It was kind of an ethnocentric mentality, perhaps, and the scope of the reach was very limited to the Jewish people. But, verse 20, God had bold and spirit-led people who would speak the word of Christ to the Gentiles or to the Greeks, the non-Jews. But there were some, verse 20, men of Cyprus, that's the island right outside of the Antioch area, in Cyrene, which is northern Africa, who came to Antioch. These men clearly had a non-Jewish background and were felt somewhat comfortable to reach out to the non-Jews, to the Greeks. And what do they do? God providentially brought them to Antioch and they began speaking to the Greeks or the Hellenists, as some of your versions may say, and also they started preaching the Lord Jesus. From a limited scope to the Jews, now the door was wide open for the whole world. Right then and there, the scope of outreach got huge all of a sudden. The local church began to explode and expand in, in Antioch as well. So first point here, what does this tell us about the role of the local church in missions? Well, point number one, the local church focuses on local discipleship. All right, it starts with local discipleship. Acts 1.8 says that Christ says that we'll be his witnesses in a concentric way from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. It was happening. The gospel was spreading 300 miles away from Jerusalem and it was on the verge of expanding to the known world to the ends of the earth. It was happening. And where did Antioch Church focus its local discipleship? Well, geographic vicinity. Who are people around them? The Jews and the Gentiles or the Greeks, they're around them. And also, we can see there's some cultural or ethnic vicinity too. There's just their natural network. I mean, these men from Cyprus and Cyrene, they're used to navigating with non-Jews. It's just kind of natural. Hey, what's going on? Similar food, similar culture, similar types of faces that they're used to seeing. Perhaps that's what it was, where God used these members, providentially placed her, and use their natural networks. 
Now, I just want to give a word of encouragement. We know this, church family. We've been taught this for years and decades, that we're called to reach out, right? Particularly locally, and, and we're all missionaries. Here's a word of encouragement for our church family. Let's look at verse 21. More providence. You're just going to see providence, 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 providence. Providence is the common thread that's going to go through everything that we talk about here in missions. Verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them. Providence. And a large number who believed turned to their Lord. It was God's providential hand that caused a large number to turn to the Lord. So what do you do with this truth here? You may be sitting there like, man, I've never led anyone to Christ. I get a little nervous. I get my words mixed up. They're not going to accept me. Well, guess what? That's not our job. We rely on the providential hand of the Lord to turn anyone to him. Our job, as Pastor Ian said, we want to be faithful. Faithful to where we've been called to minister. I think that takes a lot of pressure off it. If it was up to me and how I said it, I think I'm losing my hair already. By now, I have no hair by now. There's no way I could handle that stress. If I don't say it just right, they're not going to come through Christ. It's all on me. No, it's not. I don't build a church. You don't build a church. Jesus Christ said, I will build my church. That's Jesus' job. And we just simply get to be part of it. Let's simply be faithful to the Great Commission. Here's another word of encouragement. Let's look at verse 22. More providence. The news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem. So people were here. There's Christians being birthed in Antioch. And they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. They sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Then, verse 23, when, they had, when he had arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. Barnabas, the son of encouragement, is what his name means and really who he was. Christ providentially sent a customized gift to Antioch. Barnabas, perfect man for, of encouraging the saints in Antioch. Barnabas, he was also from Guess where? Cyprus. He was was from the island right outside of Antioch. He understood the people. He was one of their own. One of their own. Verse 24, look at how he was, what type of man he was. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. This man was dominated by Christ and his spirit. This is a customized gift for the Antioch church. Providence. God handpicked Barnabas to go up to Antioch. Providence. Barnabas' mom and dad were in Cyprus. He was born in Cyprus. Providence. Somehow he was born in Cyprus and understood the people. Perfectly equipped to do this work. Providence. So where is our local discipleship emphasis at Evergreen? Right, how do we flesh this out? How do we apply where we're headed? Well, first of all, I want to say this. It's all hands on deck. Everyone has a role in local discipleship. Everybody, every single one of us. Let me just start off with formal local discipleship, our formal local discipleship emphasis. Providentially, God has placed us in La Puente, right in the heart of the San Gabriel Valley. Praise God. Praise God. Providentially, God has 
brought Pastor Hugo Torres to us to spearhead our local outreach efforts providentially. And he's been tirelessly working at building relationships with various associations, Workman Mill, Don Julian Elementary. By the way, their leaders or uh, Pastor, I mean, uh, Principal Martha will be here next Lord's Day to be with us for Fellowship Sunday. So let's make sure we are friendly and welcoming of them. We'd like them to join us. We'd like them to become part of us. Pastor Hugo has worked tirelessly to develop relationships at the Elms Manor Mobile Park right on Valley and Workman Mill. November 20th, if you feel called and led, that's, that's what a great way to meet the people face-to-face, handing out some good Thanksgiving cheer. Pastor Hugo Torres has uh, engineered and led a Monday night Spanish-speaking Bible study here in the cafe. What an amazing thing. Providentially, we've had Shannon Inouye, part of our church family, who's, who spearheads and leads a ministry called Options, Pregnancy Center, and we get to be part of that support. And the whole reason why we want to partner with Pastor Hugo or Options or whoever else is to build a local discipleship relationship with people. We desire for the people to become part of us. Where we say, please join our family. We want us to be you too. And what a great opportunity to get involved. Perhaps the Lord is stirring in your heart. Perhaps you're like the people from Cyprus and Cyrene and you have this boldness and, and you have this desire to kind of reach out to the local community. What a, you got every opportunity to do so. The door is wide open. But perhaps you're not being called that way. You just said, Pastor, all hands on deck. What about me then? Well, we have an informal local discipleship emphasis as well. Providentially, where has the Lord placed you in the San Gabriel Valley or even beyond? Right? Where do you live? Where is your natural network relationally? You know, if you're mom or dad, there you go. Your children. Discipleship. That is another word for discipleship. Your schools, your sports teams. Remember Arman, who was back in Kazakhstan now, his reason for wanting to play and coach football is to develop relationships on the team so he could advance the gospel. This is very intentional. Where has God placed you? Your relatives, your friend groups, your co-workers. This is a stewardship. Providence has brought you to these places. And providence has brought people into your life. What are you going to do about it? This is an issue of stewardship and faithfulness to the Lord. It's all hands on deck. It's all hands on deck. We're all involved of local discipleship. And we desire to build intentional relationships that build Christ-likeness, and we desire for people to become part of Evergreen Church. We're all missionaries. And Barnabas was a role model missionary, and he certainly understood Matthew 28, 19 to 20. He understood the Great Commission, where there's a baptizing element, which talks about commitment. He understood. He, I'm sure he was baptizing people in Antioch, as Pastor e and, and Pastor Sita have in Japan, in Tokyo. Baptize, baptism is a symbol of commitment to Christ and his body. And he also understood, Barnabas speaking, understood that discipleship 
entails teaching, edifying the saints. Once they come to Christ, they need to build and edify the saints. So this comes to our second point here. When the Lord gathers his people, the local church focuses on internal discipleship. Internal. Internal. So when people come, in other words, join our local church, our responsibility is to build them up in Christ. Remember, evangelism is just one arm of discipleship. It's evangelism and edification. Salvation and sanctification has two arms. Evangelism or salvation happens in a moment, okay? Sanctification or edification is a lifetime. It's an ongoing thing. So Barnabas was realizing, man, the scope is getting larger. Lord, I had no idea it was going to be like this. There's so many people coming now. I need to get some help. And perhaps he was thinking, I have the perfect man in mind to help me. In verse 25 of Acts 11, look what happens. And he left for Tarsus to look for Saul, who will become Paul someday. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. Why Saul? Now, for us, 2,000 years later, so of course, why wouldn't you bring the Michael Jordan of pastors, the best pastor next to Christ of all time? Of course, we understand that looking backwards, but in this moment, in this sliver of time, in this moment, this was a very controversial and risky choice by Barnabas to go after Saul. Keep in mind, Saul, like I, like I talked about earlier, was ravaging the church. He was the chief of persecutor. He murdered Christians. What? Are you sure you want to put your eggs with him? Are you sure you want to lay hands on him? Well, providentially, providentially, Barnabas already had a relationship with him. Turn backwards to Acts 9. Acts 9, 26. I'm just going to read you a little bit of this. Providence. God hits the target with crooked sticks. Paul or Saul was certainly a crooked stick. And we understand that. He used to ravage the church. And now verse 26, he is, he's already converted to Christ now. He becomes a Christian. He does a 180. And verse, uh, Acts 9, 26 says, When he came to Jerusalem, that's Paul came to Jerusalem or Saul, he was trying to associate with the disciples. Hey, brother. Hey, sister. What was the response? But they were all afraid of him and, be, and not believing that he was a disciple. They didn't believe in him. They kept their arm's length to him. Understandably so. Verse 27. But there was one man that saw something in Saul. Said, I believe in this guy. One man believed this Saul, but Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he, Paul, had seen the Lord on the road and that he, Christ, had talked to him, Paul, and how, how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. Barnabas was laying hands on Saul, later to be Paul, and saying, this is, he's, he's legit. He's the real deal. And he was with them, moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. See that? Paul was just boldly preaching Christ. Verse 29, and he was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews. Paul understood how to deal with the Greek mind. But what happened? They were attempting to put him to death. But when the brethren learned 
of it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus. And Paul would spend several years in Tarsus. God was straightening out his crooked stick in Tarsus. Several years he was gone after this moment. And Barnabas remembered Paul. I have the perfect person who's bold enough, who knows the word enough, who knows how to navigate with the Gentile, um, the Greek mind. I have the perfect person. Providence, providence, providence. And look what happened. And when he had found him, he brought him back to Antioch, verse, back to uh, Acts eleven twenty six, church. And for an entire year, they met with the church. Barnabas and Saul were committed to building relationships with the church for an entire year. They were meeting with the church. Similar to Pastor Ian and Pastor Shade, they're meeting with four people, 11 people, whoever will want to join and just be part of the fellowship. They're meeting with them, developing relationships, praying for people. And what did they do? They taught considerable numbers. They preached the word. Paul and Barnabas understood it's the word of God that needs to be ministered. What did Ian describe that he did? He gave messages. He preached the Bible. He's preaching the Bible. He's teaching the Bible. Pastor Shaita, preaching the Bible, ministering the word. Spirit of God infusing in the hearts of people. Wow, that message was for me. How dare you just make a message for me? It wasn't. That's for everyone, but Spirit of God had it for you that way. The power of the word. Power. And look how much sanctification was taking place. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. The church was looking distinct from the world. They go like, wow, whether it's patience or whether it's loving, whatever it may be, these men and women of the Antioch church were distinct. They looked different. They acted different. So the, 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 the non-believing world came up with a word of derision and called them Christians. You're the party of Christ. You're the ones that follow a dead Savior. This is what we're talking about here. Amazing, amazing. Paul and Barnabas developed a strong culture of discipleship at the local church of Antioch. And they knew this, they knew this, this is key. As they met with the church, the Bible said, they met with the church. The local church is the primary context of discipleship. This is how God has set it up. Yes, there's other types of discipleship, but primary context, holistic form of discipleship happens in the local church. Why? Because you're submitted to recognized leaders. You're submitted to recognized teachers. You're submitted to one another like, hey, yes, we're part of this local church. Let's be faithful to one another. Let's be faithful to the Lord. Let's encourage each other. This is what God has providentially designed to serve out the 50 plus one another's to one another in the local church, in the local church. Ministering our gifts to one another in the local church. And Antioch church was discipled and they started becoming more like Christ. They started looking more like Christ. And in essence, they started to become more outward looking. Uh, uh, looking. And what happened providentially as we move down, the, uh, down what's happened is this. There was a famine that took place in the land. A, pr- a prophet comes up and says, there's going to be a great famine across the world and Jerusalem's going to be hit hard. And guess what? Providentially, 
the Christians of Antioch understood persecution. They fled persecution. Providentially, the, the Christians of Antioch understood the pain of not having much. Providentially, the Christians at Antioch knew what it was like to receive from Jerusalem. After all, they received their best. Jerusalem church gave up Barnabas to minister to them. And how did the the Christians respond to Antioch? Verse 29 says, with great generosity. They gave according to their means. And not only that, they gave up two of their best. After a year of ministry, they could obviously see that, okay, Barnabas and, and Saul, okay, phenomenal gifts. But guess what? We're going to send you with our finances and go support the church in Jerusalem. We're going to be generous with our finances. We're going to be generous with our best people. And that's what they did. That's what they did. So the Lord was doing providentially working in the hearts of the people in, in Antioch. Let's move to our third and final point here, Acts 13. Let's turn to Acts 13. Paul and Barnabas returned from Jerusalem. They returned back 300 miles down, 300 miles up, 600 miles of traveling. Who knows how hard that is. Acts 13.1, the Lord was providentially assembling a very diverse group of leaders. Acts 13.1 says this, Now, now is always kind of a trigger term for in my mind as I read in Acts like providence again. Now, there were at Antioch in the church that there, were, there, there was there prophets and teachers. These are the recognized leaders of Antioch Church. Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, who had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. Saul's voice lasts until he becomes Paul. Providentially, he's assembled a diverse group of leaders. Barnabas was a former Jewish priest from Cyprus. We know a little bit more about him. Simeon. This word Niger means black. He was probably from Africa. He's a dark man. Lucius was from Cyrene, North Africa. Diverse group of Christians. Manian, he was a Jew who grew up in the court of Herod. He grew up in royalty with all the education and the training and, and the opportunities. And then there was Saul, the former Jewish rabbi. What a cast of characters. And they all, have a, as a group, understood Matthew twenty nineteen make disciples of all the nations, not just Antioch, of all the nations. Acts 1, 8, they even understood that you will be my witnesses even to the ends of the earth. They understood, point number three, that the local church focuses on global discipleship. Global discipleship. And global discipleship is also all hands on deck here. All hands on deck in two ways. Okay, not everyone's called out like Pastor Ian and other missionaries, but God does send some people out, called out once. Secondly, the church is used by God to send out. And let me look through these two verses at uh, Acts 13, verse 2 and 3. It says this, While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit says, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. In essence, God says, I have drafted Paul and Barnabas to do this mission. I have a customized, providential mission for Paul and Barnabas. Calling. God drafts certain people to do unique callings. Not everyone's called to be sent out. However, if you're not sent out, we're part of the sending out process. All hands on deck. 
Acts 13.3, look what they did. Then when they had fasted and prayed, what is this process about? This is the discernment process. Was Paul and Barnabas actually sent out by God? The whole church needs to discern this. Was Pastor Ian sent out by God? The whole church needs to discern this. So prayer and fasting is critical. 1 Timothy 5.22 says, Do not be too hasty to lay hands. 1 Timothy 3 talks about character. Anyone that we send out needs to be above reproach. Not perfect, but genuine. Not causing anyone to stumble by their lifestyle or character or lack of character. Did Paul and Barnabas have character above reproach? Obviously, they knew. They spent a whole year with them. Absolutely. Number two thing that they look for, Ephesians 2.10 says that we are a work of art, a poema, one-of-a-kind work of art. Does the gifting match the job description that needs to be done on the road? Does it match? Can they preach the word? Yes. They experienced it for a year. Acts 16, and when you get the chance, go ahead and read it. It's about how the Spirit was prohibiting Paul to go in certain directions, and then the Spirit was moving them in a certain direction. But what I glean from that is, is this the right timing and place for the sent out ones? So character, above reproach. Gifting, does it fit the, the, the calling? Thirdly, is this the right time and right place for this sent out ones? And then going back to Acts 13, 3, and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. This is talking about affirmation and support. Laying hands on people who are sent out saying, yes, we believe in you. Yes, we believe you're one of our best. We want to send you to represent Christ in our church at Antioch. Paul and Barnabas, certainly our best. Sending Pastor Ian out. We know him for years. I mean, you, you heard John's testimony. He's, he came up, came to Christ in the church, grew up in the church, became an intern, became a faithful pastor. Yeah. Served in the church, taught the church. Let's lay hands. Laying hands means that we pray for our sent out ones. Laying hands means that we financially support our sent out ones. Laying hands means we relationally support our sent out ones. As you said, as you said, it could be very difficult on the road. All hands on deck. All hands on deck. And I want to just take us briefly through a journey here for Paul here, how, what it looked like. I'm going to show you a map of how their first missionary journey looked like. And this was the known world at the time. Perhaps it would extend to Spain and all that, but this was kind of like the known world. And now that Paul and Barnabas were on the road, did they change their game plan? Did they change the game plan? And let's take a tighter look at this map. And we're going to journey with them. I'm going to give you some points and points of points of uh, highlighted points throughout their journey. We're not going to go through it in depth. But I think you're going to get the idea. Acts 13, 4 and 5, they got to Salamis, which is on the island of, uh, of Cyprus. And what did they do? They began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews. Then they headed west to the west end to Paphos and they experienced opposition, false prophets and a, a magician. Well, how do they handle that first uh, testing? Well, the people were amazed at the teaching of the Lord. They preached the word. 
Acts 13, 13, they head north to the mainland in Perga. And then they head north to Pisidian Antioch, another Antioch. And they experienced immense opposition this time. Blasphemers formed a mob and they drove them out of town. What did they do? Well, let's see how they responded. Acts 13, 49 says, And the word of the Lord was spread through the whole region. They kept preaching the word. Doesn't seem like they changed their game plan at all. Preach the word. And what do they do? And then they finally move south. Acts 13, 51 to Iconium. This is where, what they did, what do they do? Acts 14, 3. They, Therefore they spent a long time there speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord who was testifying to the word of his grace. They preach the word. And guess what happened? Intensity ramped up. Jews and Gentiles teamed up and they tried to stone them to death. They tried to kill them. That's some opposition there. Acts 14.6 says that from there they moved south to Lystra and they experienced more opposition. They were stoned. Paul was stoned in Lystra and his lifeless body was there and they dragged his body out of the city because they thought he was dead. And what did they do? They preached the gospel. They preached the word. Same game plan. In Acts 7, uh, Acts 14, 20, Acts 14, 20, they finally head south to a city called Derby, which will be the point where they make a U-turn and go retrace their steps, basically. And what did they do? After they had preached the gospel, Acts 14, 21, that's what they did. They preached the word. Did they change their game plan? Absolutely not. On the road, they did not change anything as they did at home in Antioch. They made disciples. They spent time relationally with the people. They taught the word of God. They unleashed the word of God to the people, to their known world. It's amazing. It's like Japan, unreached region. What else would Pastor Ian talk about? The word. And what did they do? They established and strengthened local churches. This was not a show that, a pop-up show that they stop, start, stop, start, stop, and that was it. They're looking to build or strengthen pre-existing local churches. Look at Acts 14, 21. After they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, to Antioch. So they retraced their steps, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And look what they did in verse 23. When they had appointed elders for them in every church. See that? Church. They appointed leaders for every church. So every stop that they had, they're church planting. Just like Pastor Ian and Pastor Seta. We believe in this model because it's in the Bible. This is the normalized pattern in the Bible to disciple in the context of the local church. Having prayed with, with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. The local church is God's primary context for discipleship. Not exclusive, but primary. And so what is Evergreen's global discipleship emphasis? We are first and foremost in the discipleship-making business. That's what we're at. Discipleship-making business. Therefore, we want to invest in ministries that establish or strengthen like-minded churches. This is exactly what we want to do. 
This is exactly the type of men that we want to lay hands on, Ian and Sheta. I had a privilege of joining them one time in 2018. We want to send people to plant churches. We want people to send people to equip local leaders and pastors in their area. We want to send people to join like-minded local churches. You may not be a pastor or a preacher. We get that. Boy, we expect you to join the local church so you can get involved in discipleship. Just to finish up here, church family, this has been a riveting study for me, quite frankly. Monday, the Lord, I believe, led me to this message in a different direction. And as I studied the book of Acts, providence was all over. I mean, it was lighting my bones up and encouraging me even what's happening here. Providence. And, And let me ask you a question. How were they so sure about Paul and Barnabas? Well, just in a nutshell, they were already doing what they would do on the road at Antioch. They were faithful to where they're at. If you have a desire to go on the road, be faithful here and now. They're already, Paul and Barnabas, in intentional relationships at Antioch. Build relationships here and be intentional about building Christ's likeness. The church at Evergreen, knows and loves Ian Nagata. We trust him. We've seen his wares. We've seen him in action. In a lot of ways, we sent out our best. We have to be prepared to do that, church family. We have to be prepared to send out our best. Because, you know why? This is why. I'm going to finish up here. This was particularly edifying and encouraging to me. So perhaps if you're in a If you're in a trial, this might encourage you. Hopefully this encourages our pastor here. Because when you go on the road or when you are faithful to Christ, it's going to require all of a godly character that God's given you above reproach. When you go on the road, it's going to require all the giftings that God's given to you providentially. When we send people out on the road... It's going to require to earn a support from home, prayer support, relational support, financial support. Because when we send out men and women like Ian Nagata and others, we want them to have a rock-solid conviction that this is where I'm supposed to be. So when it does get hard, I know I'm supposed to be here. Providence. I believe that God's going to do whatever He needs to do, but I believe I'm supposed to be here because they will face the forces of satanic opposition. It's going to happen. This is not something where we want to just send people out who are not ready. Providence of God. This, this whole doctrine has been just lighting me up this whole week. The providence of God. Jesus says, lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. What? How does he do it? Providence. And when we understand this doctrine of God, this is one of the most encouraging, most comforting doctrines that God has everything under control and he's orchestrating everything, even if we don't understand it, to build his church and to build you up and me up. And the more we understand providence, we're able to identify it when it happens in our lives. The older we get with our Lord, the longer we walk for them, we can look back and say, wow, I could see God's providence how he's led me to this point. Then you trust him more. 
God, you got this. Who am I? My vision is just limited. You see the whole thing. Providence. Super encouraging. So as a church family, we need to see God's hand, see God's hand moving. Where, where is he moving locally? Where is he moving internally? And then it's all connecting. Where is he moving us globally? It's all interconnected, church family. Providence. Providence. And when we discern this as a church community, it's going to be electric because we're simply just going along with what God is doing anyway. Isn't that amazing? Providence. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for being a missional God. Thank you for the likes of Barnabas and Paul. Thank you for the model that you gave us in the Antioch church. Thank you, Lord, for providence, Lord. Thank you that we could just lean on you. Even if we don't understand, we do not lean on our own understanding, you say. But we acknowledge you. We trust you, Lord. Lord, help us to respond by being all hands on deck in discipleship, Lord, whether it's locally, internally, or globally. Help us to respond well. You clearly have called us to be part of the Great Commission. Help us to see your providential hand moving individually in our lives, but also corporately as a church family. Thank you, Father. You are faithful. Help us to see your faithfulness even more as you build your church. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.